This is the Doctor Who Podcast, and you are most welcome. In this episode, it's a writer's special with John Dorney, Andrew Smith, and Matt Fitton. It's a dream come true. Well, hello, listeners. It's Michelle here in the camper van on my own tonight. It's going on midnight, my time here. And in all honesty, I'm doing this now because I couldn't sleep. I was so excited by the content that we have, literally lying awake in bed going, nope, got to go down and do this now and share it with you guys. What we have are a series of interviews that Ian recorded at Big Finish Day 4 back on January 18th wonderful convention where the Big Finish folk bring out all the stops and have actors and writers and directors and sound designers and and all kinds of creative artists that come to to chat with their loyal listeners. Big Finish was really gracious to allow the Doctor Who podcast in the form of Ian to have quite a bit of access to many of these guests to do interviews that we can can share with you. And I'll tell you, that morning, Ian and I were chatting about Big Finish and and the guests that were going to be there. And I actually had a list of about a half a dozen people that I said, you know, Ian, if if I were the one there, these are the people I would want most to talk to. And wouldn't you know it, he went and got interviews with almost the exact list that I suggested to him. So uh, thank you, Ian. Today, we're going to hear three of those interviews. Rest assured, there are some more coming. But this today, this writer special represents my dream team, really, of of the writers that were there that he had a chance to interact with. We're going to kick it off with John Dorney. Now, i got to tell you, if you go to the Big Finish website and search on the name John Dorney, you will get 49 different entries for this man. He is amazing, uh, both acting and writing credits. And in fact, he has written some of the most popular and successful stories that Big Finish has produced. But uh, enough of my talking. Let's hear what John Dorney had to say to Ian. I'm here at Big Finish Day 4 with John Dorney, Big Finish writer. John, welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. Well, thank you for having me. You've done an awful lot of work of late for The Fourth Doctor. What's it been like writing for Tom Baker? Unlike almost all the other writers we've got for Tom, I'm the only one who wasn't really brought up with him. I think the first Doctor Who I ever watched was uh, The Five Faces of Doctor Who Repeat, so I kind of largely missed him. He wasn't the Doctor of my childhood. I kind of slowly picked up his stuff later on, so... I, I kind of ever so slightly more removed from it, which means I've kind of largely discovered discovered him almost anew through it in a way that that I don't think the other guys necessarily have. It's a thoroughly enjoyable and entertaining presence to work with. He's really professional, really on the ball, really works very hard on the scripts, really reads them inside out, knows what he's doing, plans it all very, very carefully, and a very, very funny and entertaining man. I've, uh, there aren't many of us who write the Toms. You know, it, it, it's a huge privilege to be doing it. I keep thinking of occasional moments and thoughts when I'm when I'm going around when I just think of lines and vaguely funny lines and go oh that's definitely a Tom line and I've, I've got I've got some sort of I, I think I came up with one about three months ago and I know the next one I'm writing I'm not sure I can squeeze it in I don't think there's and it's going oh I'm, I, how soon can I actually find a way of putting that in a script Ah, Strang, what a lovely surprise these mute mercenaries of yours are hardly the most inspiring conversationalists Why do you persist in your jabbering, Doctor? Call it a habit. A worthless one. I do not plan to underestimate you. I know your mind is sharp. (laughs) You're too kind. You men, dismissed, sir. Well, this is cosy, isn't it? Do you intend to kill me? 
no. Oh, pity. Listening to you makes me long for death. Not for the moment. Ah. Oh, goody, goody. The great doctor. <laughs> All-knowing. All-powerful. And yet even he falls before the might of Strang. Ah, you're gloating. How depressingly dull. I came in quite early on Tom. In, in the sense that everybody else had had like a decade of writing for the other Doctors and this was a brand new Doctor going, oh, let's have a go at this and getting excited and finding a new voice. It, it kind of was part of the same as the others that, you know, I'd, I'd write for Tom before I'd written for Sylvester, um, for example. I thought I'd written for Tom before I'd written for Colin as well. It feels simultaneously incredibly special and also less special in a way. I'm kind of... It's, it's, an, it's another job, but he's such a lovely actor and so lovely to work with and you know you can push him. And he likes being pushed as well. He, you don't, he doesn't want to just do the recreation of the old-time things and he needs to be sort of extended a bit, I think, yeah. He's got something of a reputation for ad-libbing on set, so to speak. Have you found that with the stuff you've done for him? Yeah, yeah, he'll throw stuff in and, and the joy of the way we work <laughs> is, you know, he'll throw something in, he'll kind of do something a bit mad, a bit crazy... If, if it doesn't work, we can edit it out. If it works, we keep it in. It's, it's as simple as that. Sometimes he comes up with utter gold. I think I'm perfectly happy to. I'm perfectly happy to take credit for it. He'll, ju- he'll just come up with something, and a lot of the time, you're not even sure whether he necessarily knows that he's thrown this thing in that's just utterly magnificent. It, it's, it's a joy to be with. He'll just kind of give so much and fling so much at you and give you so many different options. And no two takes are the same, but they're all brilliant. On the TV show, his personality went through various different phases over his long run. Mm-hmm. Do you take that into account when writing, or is it uh, more, more disconnected? I, I, I think we, all, we each of us, as the writers of, of, of Tom Baker, kind of have our own way of writing him. I mean, I think that's possibly... I mean, there are elements where you kind of, as you say, it varies across the years. I don't think that's specifically about it, because, you know, he's always going to deliver it in his, his, in his now uh, voice, and it's best not to try to replicate too much what was going before, but obviously it's... The way we write is, is influenced and infused by, um, by our memories of that and our knowledge of that. But I, I noticed very much when I was sort of going over the scripts of the first couple of seasons that as script editor on some of them that we all have kind of our own very distinct way of doing it I think I'm, I'm kind of the really sarcastic angry Tom that's a bit Chris Boucher period that's the sort of area where I tend to gravitate towards so I kind of like have him being incredibly rude I think, I think Johnny Morris gave me a, a note on one script to one where David says has the doctor been taking git pills during this one though technically that might have been one of the Gareth Roberts adaptations now I think about it I, I think you kind of each of us has our sort of own natural voice and way of writing it for him, so that you get a lot of the intensity in some of Nick's ones and mine's the, the really sort of sarcastic, angry one, and then Johnny's is is usually quite the sort of the witty, massively smart one. Though obviously those distinctions are incredibly broad. I don't really think about too much about the period. Obviously, I watch the stories that are set around the time to kind of remind myself of, of the speech styles. But I just write the lines I, I think I think he would say that feel natural for him to say. I know there's a big effort at Big Finish to try and make the story sound of the era, and more than just the actors, but the whole soundscape. When you do that, do you find that the different culture today compared to the 70s, there's things you have to leave out or change? We're not writing in a vacuum. We're obviously writing in 2013 and 2014 now. You're going to be influenced by the stuff of, of now. There's a lot of things that they did in the 70s that we wouldn't be allowed now. The levels of violence, for example, because when I did Faith from the Future, I was very consciously trying to ape the style of Robert Bag Stewart by just making it as violent as I possibly could and, and as sadistic and killing all the villains in the most appropriate manner possible and, and hoist on their own petard manner. Excuse me, pardon me, but do you mind not pushing? 
Does anyone know the way to Supreme Councillor Geflo's rooms? Hello? Hmm? Anyone? Anyone at all? Well, thanks for the reply, but I suspect you don't know. Yes, I doubt flyspray is going to be much use on you. I hit it! Leila! At last, I get the eyes. It is blinded. I knew that would work. Yes, but you've made it angry. Move! But if it is blind... It can smell us, hear us, feel the vibrations as our feet hit the ground. It's the perfect natural hunter we need to get here. Yeah, I, I don't think there's anything we particularly don't uh, do to fit that. So, I mean, there's um, we kind of... Tr- certainly try and push it and in a lot of mine I will kind of try and keep that sort of modern storytelling sensibility I don't want it to be a pastiche I want it to be alive as a piece of drama that's because people are listening to it now so you've got to write for an audience of now as well it can't just be obviously if you're doing something like um, a lost story then you probably kind of veer back that way a touch more by and large largely write with the sensibility of now I'd say one of your latest releases King of Sontar features the Sontarans with Dan Starkey playing them. Listening to it on the way here, I felt that there seemed to be a bit of a blend between the Sontarans of old and the sort of new series Sontarans who have a slightly different character. Was that intentional? Not particularly. I think, again, it's probably that thing of just not being in a vacuum. I, I did quite consciously not want to write them funny, particularly. I wanted to write quite a serious, straightforward one. I suppose, if anything, there's the intent to explore them a little bit more deeply. But then I feel if you're writing an old monster, you kind of want to explore what that monster is. So if I'm doing an old villain, so like Solitaire being the example of trying to kind of figure out what the toy maker is and what he does, and same with the elite and all those kind of things, where perhaps that, in, in that you do have in, in one of the characters a, a Sontaran who isn't an all-out-and-out baddie, because there is a, there is a context to him, and, and it's using that in a hopefully more sophisticated way. That sounds like I'm denigrating the previous work done by people. That's a different time period and with a different requirement. I was trying to make them as old series as possible. Obviously, there are going to be influences of the new series will creep in at different points, yes. And certainly with Dan playing it, even though he is very much doing his old series style, Sontaran, he's able to, he's versatile enough that he will kind of can, can tweak it and do variations even within the same monster. He's, he's, he's brilliant there, man. The other thing you've done recently was Light at the End. That was very exciting. Um, obviously, I was um, in three three days over, over about a month going into the studio, working with all the different doctors, uh, working with all the different companions, and uh, and just generally helping out. It was it was just a privilege to be involved. I didn't have a particularly massive part in it, but I just had such a joy doing it. It's obviously it's a sort of dream come true to be involved in those kind of things and to be to be involved in Doctor Who in any way professionally during the 50th anniversary was was a huge privilege to be in um, our big sort of anniversary release just this kind of unbelievable really it's it's just basically just a joy to be in the room hearing these these doctors interact for the first time Tom interacting with Paul and so on and so forth it was basically having the best seats in the house and then occasionally having to read read in some lines I slightly kicked myself for not getting everyone to sign the script because I thought of that about a day late and it was going and it's that moment we go why did I why did I not think of that a day ago that would have been just a wonderful memento. Uh, but having said that, the finished CD is a memento by definition. You know, anyone can have a signed copy of that script. I'm actually in it. So that's, that's yeah, huge privilege. 
Well, thank you, John, and thank you, Ian. That was really wonderful to hear. For instance, I love the insights into the work that he's done on the Fourth Doctor range and hearing about the different ways different writers may may voice Tom Baker and John Dorney's stories may have more of the sarcastic or the angry tone. That's going to be fun to listen to now uh, and see if what he has described for the different writers actually matches up. Ian had the chance to chat with Andrew Smith, a friend of the podcast. Let's hear what the latest is for Andrew. I'm here at Big Finish Day 4 with Andrew Smith. Andrew, hello. Hello, Ian. Nice to meet you again. I think we're contractually obliged to interview you about once every three months now. <laughs> I'm not objecting to it. It's fun to do. You certainly seem to be doing more for Big Finish now as time goes on. Having sort of come into the writing through Doctor Who, what's it like moving across into those other genres like Blake Seven and Survivors? It was really good to do Survivors, which is something very different, you know, which is about kind of a, a, a mid-70s apocalypse drama, obviously from the TV series uh, written by Terry Nation in the 70s. With writing Doctor Who, I imagine I must have had a moment writing the Doctor Who script when at some point I've written TARDIS Interior and got a bit of a buzz from it. I don't remember it, but I do know when I came to write my first Blake Seven, and I was writing things like Teleport and Spatials and Standard by Seven and Zen saying Information. You know, that, was, that gave me a buzz. That was kind of cool. All these catchphrases, if you like, from Blake Seven. And you're doing one of the new early years stories with the, the, the Vord coming back, which is going way back. Yeah, it's the early adventures. It might not be the first one. And I, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's September it comes out. We recorded that actually a year ago. That was uh, January 2013. I'm really looking forward to that. It's the first Vord story that Take Finish are putting out. It's a four-part story, and it's told in the fashion of the, some of the lost stories that go back to those early Doctors, where it's a fairly small cast, partly dramatised and partly narrated by William and Carol. And they, they did just a fantastic job. And I've, I've been kind of getting a bit antsy about it, really. Just, I just really want, want to hear it. I'm, I'm looking forward to it coming out and uh, seeing what the, uh, what's been done with it. It's so nice, again, here today at Big Finish Day to see so many of the sound guys here, and they've got their panel this afternoon. Because what they do is, is fascinating, and, it's, again, it flatters what you do when you, when you see what they, they bring to the production after the, after the studio days. The early adventures have been kind of billed as the replacement to Companion Chronicles. Part of the Companion Chronicles was this kind of small, intimate, two-hander style. Has that continued into the early adventures? No, the early adventures are larger casts than that. I don't know if they are really a replacement for the Companion Chronicles. I think they're more of a continuation of the lost stories. When I was asked to write Domain of the Verbs, I was pointing at those stories, and I think it was Farewell Great Macedon. I actually went and listened to it pretty shortly after getting the gig to do Domain of the Verb. Again, just to pick up on that style, and David sent me a couple of scripts for stories like that and Lords of the Red Planet, which is another lost story done in the same style. So I'd say it's more something that carries on a style that was developed for the, uh, the lost stories more than Companion Chronicles. You also have a main range story coming out, The, the Brood of Eris with Colin Baker. We're hanging in space. Oh, they're pretty. According to the TARDIS, that pretty planet and its pretty moon are the only bodies in this system apart from the star that they orbit. Keep away. This system is out of bounds by interplanetary decree. If you proceed, your life will be in jeopardy, and should you survive, you will be subject to the severest sanctions that the law can provide. Uh, you're called Dratchy. I take it you come from that planet. What is your name? What? What, my name? Hmm. 
What a simple question. My name. Why can't I remember? What can I say about that? It was it was it was great fun to record. We got these characters called the Dracchi in it. Who um, in episode one they come they come scrambling all over the TARDIS and come inside and they are described you know initially with kind of childlike and imp-like, quite endearing. Yeah, it was it was great fun in the studio listening to the actors sort of while tracking the Dracchi and making those little <laughs> noises for uh, thirty seconds or a minute or however long. I mean, it's, I'm sure to them it must have felt like five minutes or an hour but uh, it's probably about 30 seconds at a time that Nick and it's directed by Nick Briggs Nick had them had them doing that so um, yeah it is the sixth doctor it's Colin his companion is Flip Philippa Jackson they materialise in space the doctor wants to check the TARDIS instruments basically and they meet these imp creatures the doctor loses Flip and at the same time meets someone else who's lost their memory uh, we have this thing of trying to get flipped back and uh, at the same time solving the mystery, if you like, of this, this person has lost their memory. And then there's a strange nature of the planets that are there, Eris being one planet, Asphere being another. And there's, a, there's some strange goings on with the, the people on Asphere being terrorised pretty much by the Dracchi. But as usual, there's a bit more to it than is obvious at first sight. Sounds intriguing. Andrew, thank you very much for spending some time with us. Thanks, Ian. Very nice to talk to you again. Cheers. I'm particularly looking forward to the Liberator Chronicles story that he's done that has just the two voices. You all know I've been a huge fan of the Companion Chronicles and have been disappointed that those are ending. But as I think about it, what what makes the Companion Chronicles so great are these small, intimate casts, these two or maybe three voices tops that really allow you to get into the heads and the hearts and the relationships of the characters that are that are featured there. And, you know, so it's not so much the Companion Chronicles themselves, but I hope as Big Finish moves forward that they continue to feature these stories that have, have just a couple of voices and can really explore those intimate, intense uh, dramas. Another thing that I find special about Andrew Smith, and, and of course, most of you will know that as a, as a young man, a very young man, he wrote the story Full Circle back in very late 70s, 1980, uh, for, for the show and for Tom Baker. Introducing Adric, yay. He, had, he did some other things, other writing things, back when he was quite young, but then chose to follow a different career. And I think he, he's shared fairly widely that it was a career in law enforcement. It's only now, uh, later on, that he's come back to writing, and, and specifically to writing for Doctor Who and for Big Finish. I think this is really neat for a couple of reasons. One is that here you have someone that was obviously strongly influenced by the show as a youth, you know, grew up as a fan, then chose to go into a career that on a daily basis, potentially, you're making the world a better place. You're you're fighting the baddies, and you're 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 protecting the innocent, and you are uh, literally making the world a safer place. This is cool. So now you have a guy whose day job is to save the world, and whose night job is to write Doctor Who stories. And uh, boy, that is an interesting development, I would say. It's I'm always fascinated by how Doctor Who influences its fans and and listeners if I could sit across a table drinking coffee with you or tea with you I think the question I would ask probably each and every one of you at least if you grew up with Doctor Who and are now old enough to have a job I'd be curious to know how much this show has affected what you've become Uh, you know how have we been changed how have we been shaped how have our career choices and our life choices been shaped by this show it it would be interesting I think to kind of collect those stories because I think many of us in some ways are who we are because of our growing up with the show. 
I've always found that an intriguing idea. And and I think it kind of leads right into the third writer that we're going to feature today, because Matt Fitton has a story that's similar to Andrew Smith's, in at least in, in the idea that he has been pursuing a, a, a different career, a day job. And it's only within the last few years that he has begun to, to follow his dream of writing. And amazingly enough, got hooked right in to Big Finish. And I'll let him tell you a little more about that in his discussion with Ian. Hi, I'm here at Big Finish Day 4 with Matt Fitton. Hi Matt, welcome to the Doctor Who podcast. Hello and thank you for having me. Matt, you first got into Big Finish writing through winning a competition. Yes, it was sort of indirectly through the call for open submissions for what became Demons of Red Lodge. So I submitted a storyline for that based on uh, Fifth Doctor and Nyssa and it didn't get made on that round of um, production, but Alan Barnes came back to me a few months later and asked, could I rework it for Sixth Doctor and Perry? And it ended up on Recorded Time and other stories as a, a sort of the Doctor and companion trapped in a Jane Austen simulator. It is a truth universally acknowledged that a single girl in possession of a mind of her own must be in want of a husband. The universe, however, fails to agree on the proper course of action should she be presented with more than one. This was to be the challenge confronting the eldest daughter of Longbourn House, an eligible young lady by the name of... Perry, Miss Brown, I wonder might I be so bold? No, 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 too effete. <clears throat> you know I hold the greatest esteem and affection for your person... And I wonder if you would do me the great service, no, honour, of granting me your hand in marriage. Were you a professional writer before that, or was it something you were trying your hand at? I was trying my hand. It's something I've always wanted to do, and it was just a question of knuckling down and actually writing things, going for opportunities. Because I'd I'd made a, 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 a sort of resolution that year to go in for as many open writing opportunities as I could so I trawled you know the BBC writers room and um, things like the Red Planet Prize all the various inns there are at the BBC in terms of open submissions for dramas comedy writing etc etc I I was just starting out doing that and Big Finish was one of the first things that I went in for and was fortunate enough to get and just haven't stopped working for them ever since so it's filled all my free time completely in fact I've had to make more free time from my day job to to do it that it's the dream to, to do this for a living yes you just had released the companion chronicle uh, Luna Romanas. How was that writing for both Romanas at the same time? It was great to be, first of all, to be involved in this the companion chronicle anniversary trilogy, to be rounding off the Stoin story. And then when David told me I'd be writing for, for both Romanas, one and two, as it was originally intended, that was just a fantastic opportunity because that's sort of my time. I remember from growing up as, as, as watching Doctor Who. I'm a child of the 70s, so just <laughs> so born in 70s. So, so I re- really vividly remember um, sort of Leela K9 and then the Romanas coming along. And Romana, M- Mary's Romana, just being something completely different to, to any companion we'd seen before. And uh, absolutely adoring her. And then when Lala came along and doing the same character in such a different way adoring her as well and to be able to write for the two of them was fantastic and then very sadly as it turned out we, we didn't manage to um, record with Mary 
it's it's written as a, a Romana one and two story, and then when we had the the sad news about Mary passing away, um, we sort of put it on the back burner for a while, and then had a rethink about how we could work it. And then it turned out within the Gallifrey series that they had brought in Juliet Landau as a an unspecified future Romana, and so Dave and I had a chat about how we could rework the story to incorporate this Romana telling the story and also have something of a, a, a tribute to, to Mary and uh, her, her portrayal of the character as well. So in a way, we're, we're, we're touching on all three Romanas and uh, I hope I've done them all proud. Having grown up uh, watching Lala Ward playing Romana, is it slightly surreal to then hear her uh, reading your script? It is absolutely surreal. <laughs> I had to listen to it, the whole thing twice yesterday <laughs> once it, when it came out. It's just astounding, just because I was lucky enough to go along to studio as well and to see her working in studio. She just nails it absolutely every time, first read. all the Because I know I can give her all the, the, the technical gobbledygook to say and she'll just reel it off, and, and she did. <laughs> and she did brilliantly. And her Tom's great as well, as is, as is Juliet's Tom. Juliet spent a lot of time watching the Romana One series, she told me, and she, and she, she worked on getting the Tom voice right, getting a, a slightly different tone to, to portray Romana One as well. She's, she was really dedicated to the, to the project. I'm glad it's, it seems to be going down so well, her, her uh, taking on the character. I understand that you're also writing something for the archives too. Can you tell us anything about that? Um, yes. So I'm doing the, the last two stories. So Dark Eyes 2 differs from Dark Eyes 1 in a way in that it's not one ongoing story as such, where, where Dark Eyes 1 was very much the Daleks chasing Molly and the Doctor through time and then Cotris's plan gradually becoming revealed, all as part of one ongoing story. With Dark Eyes 2, we're picking up several threads that have been less dangling from Dark Eyes 1 and also introducing some new ones. So we've got, we're bringing Livchenko into to the first episode. Uh, Molly arrives back in the second episode. And then in the third we've got some of these threads starting to, to pull together and um, it's set, my story, the third story is called Time's Horizon and is set in the far future on an exploration vessel out at the edges of the universe and something horrible is coming to take everyone over. And then the fourth story is the Doctor jumping back with his companions now, Liv and Molly, to 1970s Earth, which we visited in Dark Eyes 1. But if we remember at the end of Dark Eyes, there was a time shift, so the timelines have changed somewhat. And who has stepped in to take advantage of that shift but the Master? Do you have anything else coming up that you're allowed to tell us about? That I'm allowed to tell... Well, uh, well, just come out. We've had Afterlife just come out, which I'm very proud of, because that's the Hex storyline, the follow-up to Gods and Monsters just once you only have to say it once but you have to know what it means I know Ace, believe me, I know do you want to leave? is that it? I could let you out at the next world whatever time, whatever place you wish no of course I don't want to leave I don't know what you'll do well, I'll be fine I always am it's not you I'm worried about I don't know what you'll do to the next one. Ace. You've screwed up any chance I had at being normal. Poor old Henry Noon found that out. It wasn't Audrey. It wasn't Fenric. It was you. You messed up my life by turning it into a game. I've only ever had your best interests at heart. Then thanks for nothing. All that. For what? 
You lost. Worse than that, you weren't even a piece on the board. He was a pawn to be sacrificed. I didn't know. I got it so wrong. How could I have got it so wrong? There's something I very specifically wanted to do with the, the story that was going to come next, which was have a two-hander in the TARDIS between um, Ace and the Doctor, because after everything she's gone through, I think it's time that she called him out on everything he's been doing, <laughs> and he got taught a lesson. And, and so that sets up the ongoing story that, that plays out for the rest of Afterlife. I'm just trying to think if there's anything else that I can talk about. <laughs> oh, actually, there is Doctor Who related. So at the end of 2014 we're going to have the series which effectively replaces the lost stories, the early adventures. I've got a, a, a story in there, so it's going to be a first Doctor story with Stephen and Sarah set in 1950s London called An Ordinary Life. Again, I'm very pleased with how that one turned out. Peter Purvis and Jean Marsh were just fantastic. And we've got a great supporting cast in there and... Uh, it should come out just in time for Christmas, hopefully. Fantastic. So lots to look forward to. Absolutely. Matt, thank you very much for your time. You're very welcome. Oh, thank you to Matt Fitton. Now, i got to tell you, I was specifically after Ian to get an interview with Matt Fitton. Uh, I have just been kind of charmed by the writing and by Matt Fitton's story. Like I said, very similar to Andrew Smith in terms of coming to it late, but this is a dream he always had. He mentioned that, to become a writer and, and then to go for it and to, you know, he, he entered that writing competition and, and didn't even get his story selected for the thing that they were looking for, but they liked him enough to kind of keep him in reserve and then pull him in. And I got to tell you, he has become, I think, a favorite of Nicholas Briggs and, and the Big Finish crew. Well, thinking about Matt Fitton and Andrew Smith and how they have uh, come to this writing or come back to this writing uh, as a secondary career, another thing I like about these two guys is that, in a way, they remind me of us or they almost represent us. You know how in the show the companion is sort of the audience's viewpoint? We see the doctor, we see the show through their eyes. Well, I feel a little bit like that when it comes to people like Andrew Smith and Matt Fitton. You know, these are regular guys, regular people, fans like us. Uh, who have gone on to make genuine and meaningful contributions to the show. Uh, and it's almost it's almost like they represent us there. And uh, these are folks that have kind of achieved a dream, I think a lot of Doctor Who fans would have, to, to make some sort of a significant and lasting impact to the mythology of the show that we all love. So, yay! <laughs> At this point, I should probably take some time to thank Big Finish. They were wonderful to the Doctor Who podcast and allowing Ian to have this access. And thanks, too, to Ian for going and getting uh, exactly what I wanted him to get. I have a feeling he probably makes a really good husband. <laughs> but, uh, no, I'm thrilled that we got to hear from the from these fellas. And thanks, of course, to John Dorney and to Andrew Smith and to Matt Fitton. And goodness, as I look at the clock now, it's well after midnight, so that means I should probably call it a night. So I'll just uh, conclude by wishing you all nighty night and sweet dreams. You've been listening to the Doctor Who Podcast with Michelle and Ian. You can find more episodes of the show at thedoctorwhopodcast.com. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, or drop by the Doctor Who Podcast forums and say hi. Thanks for listening. See you later.